How you doing? I should introduce myself. I haven't been here in a couple weeks. I'm Joseph. I'm uh, the lead pastor here and happy that you're here. And uh, I want to thank um, Pastor Cliff Marshall, our founding pastor, for uh, preaching the last couple of weeks. I had the chance to go to Texas and, uh, and bake, and it was great. And so today we're going to be back in Philippians. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4. Let's do a little quick survey um, as we kind of jump into uh, our text for the day. Uh, anybody in here ever be, uh, has anyone in here ever been disappointed? Okay, that's about most of us. Okay, now let me tell you a tale. This is true. Um, when, when I first became a pastor, we lived in Bergen, Kentucky. Um, it, if you've ever been to Bergen, you had to want to be there because it's not like you don't just drive by it. It's kind of out of the way. In our church, we had this sweet couple, and they had purchased a cruise, and they weren't going to be able to go, and they offered it to us for a deep discount, and I'm a young pastor and have a wife and a couple of kids, and so we said, yes, we want to go on a cruise with our kids. This is going to be great, and I had a notion around cruises, because I'd watch Love Boat, you know, I knew Love Boat, and, and, and I had an idea that you show up, and there's a big boat like this, you know, and and we were going to swim in the pool, that Olympic-sized pool. And we were going to have our meals on the deck. And, and we were going to have cool stuff. You know, in Bergen, you got, you know, pinto beans and cornbread. This was going to be like Bananas Foster and Beef Wellington and all those things that have a name, you know, after it. Peking Duck, you know, stuff like that. I was very excited. We're going to get, you know, couples massage. It was going to be great. We were going to ride horses in the ocean. We're going to have a room like this, a, a stately room. We look out over the ocean every night. Now, we were excited to go on a cruise. So we get in our little minivan, 15-hour drive from Bergen to Fort Lauderdale, our launching site, and we're excited, and we're singing show tunes all the way down to Fort Lauderdale. And, and you'll imagine our surprise when we found this. This isn't an exact photo, but it sort of resembles, and the room was like this. You know, uh, um, you could kind of get in there, but only barely. And, and, and the food, <laughs> the food at this, on this particular show. Here, first thing when you walk on the boat, if I'm lying, I'm dying. The first thing they said to me was, uh, the, the bar is free. Everything in the bar is free. There was a reason for that. Because you'd have to be pretty lit to, to make this good. You know? uh, there was nothing about this that was any good. Uh, we went to the pool. It was the size of a postage stamp. I, I have seen jacuzzis bigger than the pool. Uh, the, food, the food made White Castle look like Ruth's Chris. I mean, it was that bad. Uh, I had a chicken leg that I'm pretty sure wasn't a chicken. I mean, it was not good. So, the point is, not everything lives up to your expectations. Sometimes you have in your mind an idea around what something is going to be, and it turns out not to be that. And there's a little thing called life <laughs> that sometimes is like that. You know, you, you, go, you go to school and you think it's going to be one thing, but it's not quite what you think it's going to be. And you go into a profession and you think it's going to be one thing, but it's not quite what you thought. And you get into a, a, a marriage and you think it's going to be one thing, but it's not quite what they show on the movies. 
And sometimes we're disappointed. And sometimes, remember the song, I Can't Get No Satisfaction, Stones? It was written 40-something years ago, and it's still applicable today because there are people who live unfulfilled, unhappy, unsatisfied lives. They go through their whole life without ever finding satisfaction. And we are living under a constant barrage of messages that tell us you need or you deserve this. And if you get this, it's going to make you happy. You, you get, um, you know, the, if you get the right uh, car, that's going to make you happy. Or if you eat the right food, that's going to be making you happy. If you um, go on the right vacation, it's going to make you happy. If you find the right mate, do you know there are 8,000 dating sites in the world? 2,000, about 2,500 in America. My favorite one is FarmersOnly.com because I love that jingle. Because you don't have to be lonely. You know, that's what I'm saying. All right. Now, today we're talking about something that everybody needs. I mean, it's, one of the, it's a great topic to come back to. I, you know, I was looking at uh, planning my vacation, and I'm like, oh, man, great. When I come back, we're going to talk about contentment. That's something everybody wants. If you could bottle contentment, you could make a million dollars by this afternoon because there's so much discontentment. I mean, look at, just watch the news. People are discontented all over the place. They're unhappy. They feel unfulfilled. All these things. So, if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at uh, chapter 4 of Philippians 11 and 12, and we're going to look at maybe a couple other verses today. So, let me back up. I know we have some folks here maybe for the first time. Let me remind you about Philippians, what it's about. There's a guy named Paul. He's, he plants churches in the first century. Uh, he becomes a follower of Jesus. He plants churches. What he would do is... He would stay a while in a location. This particular location was a town called Philippi. He planted a church there, and then he went, after he established the church and established leadership, he would go someplace else. And then sometimes he would write back to these churches. So we have letters to Colossians. We have letters to the Thessalonian church. We have letters you know, to uh, the Rome, Roman church. And so this is a letter he wrote from prison while he's... Uh, under house arrest, chained to a Roman guard, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. They would rotate these guys every 4 hours. He was chained to a Roman guard and he writes this letter. And it's a thank you note, basically. Hey, you guys sent me a gift. They had sent him some funds. Because unlike our prison system, if you were in that prison system, you had to have a sponsor. Because the government's not feeding you, the government's not housing you. You had to pay for that yourself. And so the Philippian church, his friends at this church, they sent him a gift and he writes him a letter. Now, <laughs> these words are more powerful if you understand the backstory. Because the backstory is he's not free, he's chained to a Roman guard every moment of every day. That means everything he does. If he has to go to the bathroom, somebody is chained next to him every moment. Every day. And yet, and yet, in spite of the circumstance, this is what he writes. I have learned to be content in whatever the circumstance. Now, he's not in a good circumstance when he writes it. It's one thing to theorize about it. Yeah, I can be content. Well, it's one thing to theorize about it. It's something else to live it. I've learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. I know both how to have a little and I know how to have a lot. 
In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. So here's the point. Contentment is independent of your circumstances. And he just said, he just said it's really important. I have learned to be content because, frankly, contentment doesn't come naturally. It's difficult to be content. When circumstances are, seem to be against you, when you find yourself in a bad place, it is really difficult to be content. I know it. You know it. That's why everybody needs this message today. So, I'm going to give you four things. These are huge, actually. You could almost make a message out of each one. But we're going to kind of go through four things that will help us, if we'll apply it to our lives, how, how we can uh, be content in any and every circumstance, just like Paul. Number one, you have to learn to avoid comparisons. You have to learn to avoid comparisons. I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. No matter what somebody else has, I have learned to be content in this situation. Now, here's good news for you. Um, discontentment isn't new and comparing isn't new. It's not like we invented comparison. We didn't invent it. Let me remind you. Jesus had 12 followers. A couple of these guys, are one guy's named Peter. Now, you'll recall that Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, Peter denied he even knew him, right? It was a bad scene. He, he, he says, I'm, I'll never disown you. And then, you know, minutes later, moments later, hours later, he's denying he even knows Jesus. Well, then... Jesus looks at him and the Bible tells us that Peter is broken and he remembers, he said, I would never deny you, but he denies him. And it says he goes out and he weeps bitterly. He is a broken man. Now, good news of this story is Jesus is crucified. That's bad. But he is uh, amazingly uh, resurrected. And uh, his, there's an angel. The, these ladies come to the grave and they're going to anoint him, but Jesus is in there. And this angel has a message for the ladies. This is the message. Don't be alarmed, the angel said. You're looking for Jesus. He is crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him? Go and tell his disciples and Peter. Now, strategic. The angel understands, because God has told him, I'm certain, that Peter is really feeling pretty low. So there's this special invitation to Peter like, Peter would probably think, I'm not even a disciple anymore. I denied Christ. And Jesus wants him to know, yeah, you're invited. Come come and, and see me. And so he comes and sees him. And there's this beautiful story in John 21 where Jesus and Peter are restored kind of to relationship. And, and Jesus said, you know, do you love me? And Peter says, you know my heart. You know I love you. And, and Jesus says, feed my sheep. And it's this beautiful moment. And three times Peter had denied him. And three times Jesus sort of restores him. Now, you would think it's a beautiful story of restoration and forgiveness and grace and mercy. And you'd think Peter would just be so humbled by this. This is kind of, it's, it's almost comical because this is the next thing. Peter asked Jesus, well, what about him? Like, J Jesus just forgave and had grace and restored you, you big jerk. You didn't deserve it, Peter. But, but first thing he says is, what, what about John? What about that guy? What about him? Like, well, don't worry about him. Jesus is, I'll translate this for you. 
if I want him to remain alive uh, until I return, what is that to you? Here's what Jesus was saying. What is that to you? Who cares about him? Why don't we work on our relationship? Because you're not very good at this right now. But we have this tendency to look at something else. Here's the deal. Here's the problem with comparing yourself with somebody else. You are always going to find somebody who has more money than you, who has more success than you, who has fewer problems than you. Right this moment, if we wanted to, we could find somebody in a better shape than we are. We we could. You can also find somebody in worse shape than you are. We have this tendency, though, to compare, and I want what they have, and so what what they have? It doesn't matter what they have. Look at this text. So we do not look around and see what, uh, uh, what we see right now, the troubles all around us, but we look forward to the joys in heaven which we will have which we have not yet seen. The troubles will soon be over, but the joy will come that comes will last forever. Look, look, stop looking around. And there's these misconceptions about happiness. Some people believe that I must have what others have to be happy. If I just had what they had, then I would be happy. That's the problem. That's the marketing pitch of, of everybody that's trying to sell you something. You need this to make you happy. It's, it's the marketing behind every fad and every gimmick. When I was um, in high school, it went from wide ties to skinny ties. Remember that? Anybody remember that? My mama found in the closet today some skinny ties from when I was in high school, a long time ago. You know what's back in? Skinny ties. I am set. I mean, I am so set because of all those times I wear ties, uh, which is never. But... It all comes back around. Don't throw anything away. Save it. It'll come back. I mean, but, but we're told you've got to have this. You've got to have that. So I've got to have what others have to be happy. A- another kind of myth that's out there is I have to be liked by everybody to be happy. The odds of you getting liked by everybody are none. Look, Jesus was perfect. And he had enemies. It, it is a fool who tries to do what Jesus couldn't even accomplish. It is okay if people don't like you. You you have to kind of just live with it sometimes. The other myth that's out there, kind of misconception, I've got to have more. If I just had a little more, Howard Hughes, who was one of the most wealthy men of his time, was once asked, how much money does it take to be happy? And he said, a little more. That's kind of the myth out there. I don't need much. I just need a little more. Look, look at what the scriptures say. Godliness and contentment with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into the world. We can take nothing out of the world. But if you have food and clothing, we will be content with that. We, we spend way too much time looking around. And, and look, I'm going I'm to let you in on a little secret. Not everything people tell you is true. Not everything that somebody posts on Facebook is the truth. In fact, I'm going to show you how it works. Look at this. So not everything you see is true. They might be faking you out. Look, you can spend all day long trying to compare yourself to somebody else, and you can try to get lots of stuff, and the thing about stuff is it's just temporary. God gives us these things that we have for a short period of time. You should enjoy them. You should use them for the glory of God. But understand, you don't get to take any of the things that you acquire by God's grace. You don't get to take any of that with you. So, 
Number one, if you want to be content, you just have to stop comparing yourself to other folks. The second thing is, this is huge too, we have to learn to adjust to change. There's a little phrase in here. Um, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation because his situation was, it was dynamic. It was constantly changing. He goes into a city Paul does sometimes, and, and he's well-received, and then sometimes he's thrown in jail, and, and he doesn't know from one moment to the next what's going to happen to him. I mean, really, much more severe than you and I ever experienced. He had these ups and downs, these lulls, and, and these surges of, of activity in his life. And yet he says, I've learned the secret in any and every situation. Here's the deal. Paul says he's learned to be content, independent of his circumstances. Now, people will say, uh, oh, this is good. They'll say, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. You ever heard that expression? That, that's from, I did a little research. In, in 1523, there was a guy named, uh, English dog trainer, named John uh, Fitzherbert. And he's the one that kind of coined the phrase, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. So the Mythbusters, uh, by the way, I'm looking to go with this sometime. Uh, the Mythbusters guys... They, they wanted to see if it's true. So they got some Alaskan Malamutes, and evidently they're kind of contrary. And they got seven-year-old Malamutes, so that would put them at about 50 uh, human years. Is that right? And everybody knows that when you're 50, um, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, right? So they, they, they had them for four days, trained them for four days. After four days, they could sit, lie down, stay heal, and shake hands. You can teach an old dog new tricks. I'm learning new stuff all the time, mostly on YouTube when I need to fix something. The other day, I've got this car. It's a, I don't have I sold it yesterday. Had a car. It's an Impala. It has something called a blend door actuator. Anybody ever heard of that? Basically, the blend door actuator, when it goes bad, sounds like somebody is jackhammering underneath your dash while you're driving. You're looking for the first place to drive off the edge of the road. I mean, it is horrible. It goes, ah! Um, so, I, I decided, how hard can it be to change that? How hard can it be? They sell them up at the auto zone. Somebody's changing them. So I went and bought one. Now, the engineers at General Motors decided to put the Blendor actuator in a place where only somebody with triple joints could actually reach it. It's in the middle, under the dash, in the middle of the dash. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm not a skinny brother. I mean, I've got to get in this car, and I've got to shimmy between, I've got to shimmy between the steering wheel and the seat. All right. That's not easy. Because I've got half my body in the car, and the other, my legs are dangling, right? They're just dangling. So the edge of the door is on my ribs. I could... I had both hands, and, and I realized, I had both hands under the dash, my feet are dangling, and I realized, I am stuck <laughs> right now. And I, if I were to yell, I don't think anybody was around. And what are they going to do? You can't pull me out, because I was stuck. And I'm thinking to myself, I am going to die with my hands under the dash, changing a stupid blend door actuator. I paid somebody to do it the first time, and I thought, I'm not paying $200. Here's, let me give you some advice. Pay the $200. Now, not only, not only do you have to get it up in there, 
There's this little rod it has to slip on. And it's got to be perfect. Now, this helps your prayer life immensely. Because I'm underneath this thing, I'm stuck, but I'm still working, and I am praying. In fact, I'm, I'm sort of questioning the existence of God at this point. And I, I hate to confess it, but it's true. God, if, if you're real, can you help me fit this stupid little rod on the Blendor actuator? Now, God intervened. I could hear angels. Oh, uh, they were there. And it got on there. There are three things. Three things convinced me of the existence of God. The resurrection, the parting of the Red Sea, the Blendor actuator. These three things are, are, are certain to me. You can teach new, old dogs new tricks. You can learn new stuff, right? You can learn new things. So, yes, you can learn to be content in any and every situation. People will say, I'm okay. Ever heard this? It usually sounds like this. I'm okay under the circumstances. Under the circumstance, I'm okay. You have to kind of break off at the end. Under the circumstance. God never intended anybody to be under anything. You don't have to be under the circumstances. You, here's the thing. There are three kinds of things, circumstances in your life. There's stuff you can control and you do. So, let's say you make a commitment to holy living and you're watching television and something comes on you don't like. You control the switch. You can change the channel. It, it's up to you. You're lonely. Well, you can do something about that. You can go on FarmersOnly.com. Uh, there's stuff you can do. All right, so there's stuff you, that you can control and you do. There's stuff you can control and you don't. Now, if there's stuff you need to do and you don't control it, we call that being lazy. So you're sitting there and your windows are up and rain starts coming in the window and you don't get up to close the window, that's on you. You want to eat more healthy, but you go to Long John Silver's twice a week? That's on you. I mean, you can choose. There's stuff you can control and you do. There's stuff you can control and you don't. And there's some stuff you just can't control. There are things in life that you can't do anything about. And those, that's the time where you just have to say, God... I know you know everything. I know you can do anything. And I'm going to let, I'm taking my hands off of this. Because I can't make happen what I want to happen. I'm going to lay, I'm laying at your feet. This is going to be yours. Sometimes it's with people. Look at what the Bible says. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, as much as you can do in the situation, but sometimes people are just ornery. They don't want to have a relationship with you. They don't want to be nice to you. They're not going to be nice to you. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with people. Don't look for a fight. Don't flip people off while you're driving down the road on Wade Hampton, especially because it might be the preacher. Uh, you know, you never know. Here's what cured me of getting all angry when I'm driving. I, <laughs> one time... This guy pulled up real behind me. I, I hate, oh, Jesus forgive me. I hate it when they get up on you. If you can't see the headlights of the guy behind you, what is your temptation? Anybody? Break, check, see sinners. Uh, room full of sinners. It's funny how that came to you fast. Uh, break, check, I break, check. Okay, yes, it's wrong. It's wrong to break, check. So, 
this guy came up on me, and I was, go- I was so going to break check him. I, I, it took every, it, I could control it. I could control it. And so I didn't. And the guy pulls around me, and it happened to be <laughs> one of my church guys just playing. Now, can you imagine? Can you imagine if I had break checked that guy? And he was, he was my boy, you know? Um, so, you never know if it's somebody from church. I always think, well... They got some place to go. They're, they're missing a, you know, their kids' recital. You know, if people are driving nuts, don't assume they're nuts. They're idiots. They probably are, but you don't have to assume it. Give them the benefit of the doubt. They're, they got some place to be. They're going to prayer meeting. You know, something like that. You, you give them the benefit of the doubt. So you can control as much as it's possible. As far as it depends on you, you be nice to people. I, I think... Adjusting to circumstances is a lot about having a sense of humor. Um, many of you have asked how my father-in-law is doing. Last week, if you don't know, I'll give you this. Uh, we went on vacation to Texas. My father-in-law is um, about 75 years old, brilliant. He, he was always brilliant, uh, taught in seminary and had a Ph.D. and speaks five or six languages. And today he has Alzheimer's and doesn't know any of us. And we put him in a memory care unit. And it's so sad that if you don't laugh about it, you'll cry about it. And every time, his name is Siegfried Schatzman. It's a great kind of Swiss name, and, and we call him Siggy. And, and you go in to see Siggy, and he's happy to meet you. Every time we see him, he's happy to meet you. If you don't, if you don't laugh about it, you don't cry about it. There, there are things in life you can't control. we got no control over that. So we learn to adjust, which leads me to the third kind of part of, of how to be content. And that's, you got to learn to lean into the Lord's power. Now, this verse everybody knows. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. But what you got to know is it comes right after this verse, these verses. So, it's, it's always a little sketchy to pull a verse out of Scripture without knowing the context. Let's, let's look at the context. I've learned to be content in whatever circumstance I'm in. I know uh, I, I know both how to have a little, how to have a lot. In any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I can do all things. I can do everything. I can be content through Him who gives me strength. That's kind of what He's saying here. I, I can, through poor health, I can be content. Through Aging parents, I can be content. Through job loss, I can be content. Through money woes, I can be content. Through relational issues, I can be content. You want to know how you know you're not content? It's when you feel tired. If you get fatigue, fatigue is a lot of times you trying to do what only God can do. And sometimes there's a point in your life where you just have to relax. Because here's the deal. Satisfaction in life comes not only from contentment, but it also comes from confidence. Do you really believe that God can do what He says He can do? Do you think God has control of these situations? Do you think that God has control of your life, of this world? Because if you do, if you truly believe it, then you can just rest in God's power. We've talked about Paul. Paul wrote this letter. You have to understand something about Paul. 
He had this thing. Nobody exactly knows what it is. He had a, a difficulty in his life. He called it his thorn in the flesh. Nobody knows exactly what it is. There's kind of debates around what, what that was. It really doesn't matter. But the Bible tells us, look at what it says. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take this away. Three times he pleaded. Now, there's a difference between asking God and pleading with God. Now, he's pleading. He's bre- his heart is breaking. He is so annoyed with this particular ailment or malady or whatever's pro- whatever problem he has. Three times he pleads with God to take this away. And look what happens. But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. If there was ever a guy who could, you would think could get what he wanted in prayer, it would be Paul. And yet Paul asked for something that he didn't get. And God said, there's a reason. Because I need you to learn that I'm sufficient. That you don't have to have perfect health, and you don't have to have perfect wealth, and you don't have to have perfect whatever in order to be loved by me, and in order for me to take care of you, my grace is sufficient. Fourth thing, I got to learn to trust God to meet my needs. And my God, oh, this is a great verse, will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I was uh, driving to a volleyball game one time for one of my kids, and a car cut me off, and I'm, I swerved to avoid a collision at about 70 miles an hour. And when I did, <laughs> I hit my brakes and I went off the road. And I went airborne. That's funny. It's kind of funny how this happens because it feels a lot like slow motion. And I thought of two things. I thought, well, I'm insured. So if I crash and ruin my car, it'll probably get paid for. The second thing I thought of was, um, there's a big tree right there, and I think I'm going to hit it. Uh, you know, I think, and, and then I, thought, I just, I thought, that might hurt. Uh, I, I sort of kind of braced for impact, and God was great, and, and it, was, it wasn't a tree, it was a bush, and I kind of landed, like landing in a pillow. It was great. Um, but I thought about insurance. Isn't that funny? Because I needed somebody to have my back if my car gets wrecked. And sure enough, I had insurance and my car was totaled and they paid for it. because I knew, I knew this was going to happen because I had insurance. There are about 6,000 promises in Scripture. And, and, and Jesus one time said, uh, so don't worry about things saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Your Heavenly Father knows that you need them. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, don't you think God knows this? He knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. You have to believe that God knows. The reason people are unsatisfied, live unsatisfied, unfulfilled, unhappy lives is because they don't believe that God has their back. You have to believe God has your back. In fact, Jesus said this, I came to give you life. Life that's full and good, and his ambition for us is to have a full and good life. That doesn't mean easy. It doesn't mean everything's always going to go your way. 
If you have to have a perfect situation and a perfect relationship and a perfect job to be happy, you're never going to be happy if you have to have all those things line up perfectly. Let me end with a story. This guy named Paul Azinger. He's a golfer. He's, uh, I think he's retired or he's on the senior tour now. He's a little about, about my age. He's, he's kind of old. When he was 33, he had just won the PGA tournament and was kind of at the peak of his profession, and he was diagnosed with um, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in his right shoulder, which was going to require six months of um, chemotherapy and followed by uh, three weeks of radiation. Now, can you imagine? You, you are um, an athlete at the top of your profession as a professional, and you're told you're going to have to go through <laughs> cancer treatment. You got cancer. And he, he writes about this in his book. And he talks about how he was just scared out of his mind. In fact, let, let me read a bit. I, genuine, I had a genuine feeling of fear that came over me. I could die from cancer. Then another reality hit me even harder. I'm going to die eventually anyway, whether from cancer or from something else. It's just a question of when. Everything I had accomplished in golf became meaningless to me. All I wanted to do was live. So he went to a mentor of his, a guy named um, Larry Moody, who was the, sort of the chaplain on tour at the time. And Larry Moody reminded Azinger that we're not in the land of the living going to the land of the dying. We're in the land of the dying going to the land of the living. And Azinger is a, a follower of Christ. It's funny, though. Being a follower of Christ doesn't immunize you from fear. And, and he was fearful. And this is what he says at the end of his book. I've made a lot of money since I've been on tour. I've won a lot of tournaments, but the happiness is always temporary. The only way you'll ever have true contentment is in a personal relationship with Christ. I'm not saying that nothing ever bothers me and I don't have problems, but I feel like I've found the answer. Then he says about cancer. I feel like my battle with cancer has been a great blessing to me. This whole ordeal has been one of the greatest experiences of my life. Paul had a thorn in the flesh, and God said, my grace is sufficient for you. But By the way, the word sufficient there is the same word that's used in Philippians for contentment. It's super interesting. My grace is enough. And if you're going through a tough time, if, if Christ was preaching today, he would say, my grace is enough. It's enough. Stop looking, comparing. Lean into God's power. Understand that some things you can control, you should control, and some things you can't, you can't. And you lay them at the feet of Christ because He can take care of these things for you. Now, it doesn't always, He's not always going to answer the way you think He should. By the way, Azinger was healed and and uh, cancer-free, and now I, I see him on television as a commentator. doesn't always work out that way. It did for him. It doesn't always. We have to be content in the fact, in the belief, that God knows our needs and that God will take care of us the way God feels like he should and that he knows what's best. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for verses and words of encouragement and help to us. We're thankful that you know us, that you care about us, that you 
allow things to happen in our lives for our own good, I pray, God, that we would be people of contentment, that we would be able to drown out and to, um, to limit the voices in our heads and in our lives that tell us that we, should, we need more, we, we deserve more. Lord, thank you for what you give us and help us to be content with that. We ask these things and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.